And Happy New Year, I suppose. Okay, all right. <laughs> Guess it's not happy for some. <laughs> um, allow me just to introduce myself a little bit. I know that, uh, Pastor Jeremy, thank you for your, your kind words and um, this morning. Just a little bit about um, my wife and I. We, have, uh, we come from opposite ends of the world, so to speak. I grew up in New Jersey, just outside of Philadelphia. Um, so pretty much a city boy most of my life. My wife is from here in Iowa, uh, Oskaloosa, actually. She grew up on a farm, and we met in Bible college, and uh, yeah, I guess life hasn't been the same ever since. Um, took a number of years for me to reach the place where I could actually comfortably live in Iowa. Um, that was a gradual process for me. Uh, we were in Ohio, kind of a good middle ground, I think, between Midwest and New Jersey, um, where I was a youth pastor for a number of years before God led us to the mission field. We served in Columbia, South America, where we were involved as I was a camp director of a Christian camp, as well as working with youth workers and training them. And then we moved into full-time church planning. We were involved in church planning during that time as well, but then full-time church planning during our, during our second term. Uh, so we were with a mission agency for about 10 years, about eight years in Columbia, a year in language school, um, and a year of raising our support. Um, we have three kids. Uh, our oldest is Jackson. He is 20. We have a 19-year-old daughter, Michaela, and a 15-year-old daughter, Aviana. Um, we, while we were in Columbia on our last term, we continued to have a lot of health issues, a lot of problems that we could probably, if you stick around for the, the lunchtime, you can maybe hear some of those stories. Um, we've, we've done it and had it all <laughs> from, you know, just yellow fever. Well, I don't think we ever got yellow fever. We got dengue, we, just a whole host of things. Things that um, over time actually necessitated that we needed to come back to the United States. It was not something we had planned. Uh, we were going to be career missionaries there in South America, planting churches along the coast. Um, we actually praise God that that church has recently, this past year, celebrated their 10-year anniversary. Uh, they're in the process of starting another church. They've started a seminary, and so it's neat to see that uh, God doesn't need us, um, that his, his ways and his purposes, the church, as we're even going to see in our text this morning, the church continues to move forward on the mission of God. And we're going to look at some of those things today. So what we are doing now is um, I was involved in a, a church plant in Des Moines uh, that did not work. And at the end of that one, uh, we were tired, to be honest with you. And so going into it for a third or fourth church plant was not something we desired or endeavored to do, nor do I think we have the same level of energy we did years ago. Um, and so we kind of hunkered down for a little bit, tried to recognize we didn't want to move for our oldest two children's sake. And so we stayed in Des Moines while they got through high school. And then we moved to the country finally. God had finally warmed me up enough to actually, I love living out in the country and the peace and the quiet and the sunsets and the pond. And it's lovely. I like it. The wind turbines I could maybe do without that are by our house, but they're not bad. You kind of get used to them. Um, I see you guys have some out here too leg on the landscape, if you ask me. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. So, um, yeah, so now God is leading us into a new ministry. Um, we are missionaries with Reach Global, with the E-Free, um, and we are serving on the Pathways Bible Training Team. And on that team, we actually train pastors around the world how to study the Bible and how to preach and teach. So we're taking men who have literally no uh, formal education. Um, most of the men we work with are about a sixth grade reading level, and we are progressing them through to the point where they're preaching through books of the Bible verse by verse, just as you guys do here, which I'm so glad to hear. 
Um, it's, a, it's a healthy thing. It's the thing that I think that how God intended his church to study his word. And it is something that is desperately needed. So we hope that you'll stick around for lunch to hear a little bit more about that. Hear some of, some of those stories of how God is transforming just regions of the world uh, through some of these networks. And as Pastor Jeremy said, the, the most exciting thing is these men actually train others. We quite literally work ourselves out of a job. And that's how missions should be ultimately. And so we're really excited uh, to just step into this next phase, this new season of life. It's this happy medium between us desiring to get back into missions um, and fulfilling God's call in our lives and yet realizing we couldn't live overseas and yet equipping just these faithful men of God who honestly go way further than, than you or I ever could um, and serve and live in, in countries that face things that we, we can't even fathom. And so to see them equipped with God's word and begin to accurately preach and teach, um, similar to the passage we're going to look at today, accurately, the change that happens, um, the life change, and ultimately the change of the church is just an amazing, amazing thing. So that's what we are doing. That's what I will be involved in, and my wife as well with training women. Um, so it is with that that I always hate this phase because I stand up and I, and I share, I'm training pastors around the world how to study the Bible and how to preach and teach, and now I've got to do it. So everyone's kind of sitting here kind of like, this better be good. Uh, we shall see. Um, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, that's just a, again, that's a real brief, we, we've got a lot more there. I really do hope you'll stick around. At a bare minimum, free pizza is always good, right? Um, and so... Stick around here a little bit more about that, and maybe even some in, our, in my sermon, you'll hear some things that'll come out as well. Acts chapter 18, I know uh, Pastor Jeremy asked me to pick up where you guys left off prior to heading into Advent during that time of year. Um, there's a lot there, to, a lot to unpack in this short period of time that I have here this morning with you, but to kind of re refresh your memory, when you left things off through chapter 18, verses uh, down through verse 23, Paul has just concluded his second missionary journey. So he has gone back and he's visited, he's established new churches, and then he's gone back and visited them again, and then he is, he is headed at the end in verses 18 through 23. He is on his way, he's just met Priscilla and Aquila, they're introduced in chapter 18, he met them in, in Corinth, then they come with him down to Ephesus prior to him leaving. And so he... He leaves Ephesus and heads back to Jerusalem to fulfill this vow. We don't know what the vow was, but he is headed back to Jerusalem. And then it says that he goes, he goes down to Antioch. He heads up to Antioch because he is in Jerusalem. And then he reports. He comes back as a missionary and he says, here's what God has done. Here's what's going on. Here's the needs. And more than likely, the church also gets behind him and probably funds him. So at the bare minimum, he's able to get where he's going. I think that's probably the way Paul functioned often, was just enough money to get there and God will take care of the rest. I think it was probably Paul's mentality of how he did missions. And he arrives now, as we land here in chapter, verse 24 of chapter 18 of Acts, he arrives in Ephesus. He is with Priscilla and Aquila at this time. They are with him. They are working their trade as tent makers. They're much like the pastors that we minister and serve. They have, they're bivocational. They have jobs um, outside of their responsibilities of, of a church. And, and I can attest to the fact that for many men around the world, that is the case. That is the norm, actually. And it's not an easy thing. Uh, you can imagine maintaining, you know, trying to take care of your family in, in difficult times, and then on top of that, have to deal with all you guys, Right? 
I mean, you know, you, you know your own set of problems, and, and, and you need to just get behind your, your elders and your pastors too because they are shepherding and guiding you. And so we hit our text here in verse 24, and I'm going to read verses 24 through the end of chapter 18, and then verse, chapter 19 we'll finish in verse 10. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come, was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all. And they entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning just as humble, sinful people, desirous to hear from you from your word. So God, would you... Through the Spirit, through your Spirit, enlighten us to, to see. Would you just illuminate this scripture? Would you touch hearts? God, would you continue to encourage us and motivate us and keep us on mission? God, I thank you for just the, the, the stories, the, the real historical stories that are found here in the book of Acts that, that t- describe for us the establishment of the early church and, and give us encouragement as well in our struggles as churches. Father, would you be with us this morning? Would you continue to place us in a position of all of who you are and all that you have done? We pray these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. I have here in my hand a, a puzzle piece. How many of you guys like doing puzzles? All right, I won't insult you or mock you. I don't understand puzzles. They frustrate me to no end. But there is nothing more frustrating. It's probably because I'm not good at it. Let's, let's be realistic, right? The, the thing about puzzles that is the most frustrating, if you're anything like my family, is we often buy them at Goodwill. And you never know what you're getting with those puzzles, right? I mean, you have the box. You know what it should look like. You know what the, the final result should be. But have you ever gotten to the end and you can't find a piece? Anybody been there? The frustration of not being able to, to, to finish it with the missing piece. You've had that? Where you can't find the missing piece? Yeah. See, the, some of the kids understand. Because these were found in your nursery. My wife found two of them that are missing puzzle pieces. They're just sitting up on the counter. 
we have here in our story Apollos. In our text is Apollos, and he's missing a key piece. He's missing a key piece. He has some of the information, but not all of the information. Apollos is introduced here. He's kind of just interjected. It's almost like Luke just kind of throws this in. And when you pass over it, you kind of miss what Luke is actually trying to make the the reader to understand. The audience that he is writing to. Who he's writing this letter for. Remember, Acts is really just the second book. It's one continuous book from Luke and Acts. And so I would encourage you someday to read it that way. It's very interesting to see the case that he is building for who Jesus is, and then the Spirit comes, and then the church grows and flourishes and moves and fulfills the mission that Jesus said was necessary for him to leave in order for the Spirit to come. So Apollos comes on. We have this Jew, a man named Apollos. It says that he's, he's eloquent. He was an eloquent man in verse 24. I mean, he was a good preacher as opposed to some bad preachers, right? He, he, was, he was flamboyant probably. He was boisterous. He was competent in the scriptures, it says. Literally, it's power in the writings. Like, he, he knew his Old Testament text. He was a Jew from Alexandria in Egypt, and now he's in the Roman world. He was not only eloquent and competent, powerful in, in teaching, he's enthusiastic. Verse 25 says, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. Again, like literally, it's like he, it says boil in the spirit. I mean, he's one of those guys that gets your attention. He's standing up, it appears, daily, the same thing that Paul did. He's coming to the synagogues and he's reasoning with them and he's lecturing and he's engaging and, he's, and people are like, whoa, tracking with him. But he's missing a piece. He's missing a key piece. It says also that he was, he was accurate, though. He taught accurately. So he's teaching up to a point, and everything's right, and you can just imagine Aquila and Priscilla, this, this couple who have been mentored by Paul, they've spent time with Paul. I mean, think about it. If they're making tents and things, I think that there's a lot of talk going on. I, I long for the day someday when we're in the new heaven, new earth, and we get to speak with these people and find out all the stuff that happened in between the verses, right? They're, 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 Paul is mentoring and teaching them, and they're probably, they, they hear about this guy or they see him. Remember, Paul's not with them anymore. They're just here themselves. And they pull him aside, and they begin to share with him the missing piece. It, it appears that Apollos, Apollos had an incomplete knowledge of the gospel, Verse 25, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately concerning the things about Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He only knows up to John the Baptist. And the message of John the Baptist is one of repentance. It's one of prepare the way for the Lord. Now, we don't know for sure whether Apollos knew about Jesus. I believe that he probably knew that Jesus was the Messiah, Because that's what John was preaching and teaching. We don't know whether he was a disciple of John, whether he had heard it at some point in time. But this is the message that he's sharing. He's sharing, repent, prepare, because Messiah has come. But he doesn't understand all that Messiah had come to do. That he had come as a suffering servant. That he had come to die. That he had come to do what Luke through the book of Luke, actually lays out the groundwork and leads it up to the death of Christ. 
Because that is the fulfillment of everything. And then the resurrection. Apollos doesn't know any of this. He's missing a really important thing when it comes to the mission that he's on. The missions that he's doing. He's going about as an evangelist, but he doesn't know. He probably is emphasizing repentance in his preaching. And it says here of an interesting phrase, in the way of the Lord. And that one got me really hung up for a little bit. And then I started thinking about the fact that, that the way of the Lord goes back as far as like the Old Testament. If he's someone who is, is a scholar, he's a student of the Old Testament. Remember, I'm going to read from, I can't even say Deuteronomy. Don't know where I was going with that. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Listen to this. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may go well with you, and you may live long in the land that you shall possess. And then from that, Moses then, this is, this is in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, he's just given the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel, and then he says, now you are to not veer from them. To the left or to the right, you're supposed to stay straight as you go. And then Deuteronomy chapter 6 comes in, and the Shema of Israel, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. It's the same idea. You're supposed to teach it to your children as you lay down and as you get up, as you go, as you're on your way, you're supposed to stay in this lane. And you're supposed to fulfill all the commandments that I've commanded you. Now, if you know anything about your Bible, how did the people of Israel do with that? Keeping those commandments. They killed it, right? No, like read the book of Judges. Go through everything... Over and over and over again, they are incapable, they're unable to fulfill the commandments of God. And so when you look at all that, the people of Israel ultimately should be a very frustrated people because they can't do what God has told them to do. And God said, this is the only way. And then Jesus comes. And Jesus, what does he say about the way? He says, I am, in John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then Luke, how does he portray, Luke spends some time even just with, you know, even just the progression of Jesus through the garden and then up to Calvary. And how does Luke introduce the way? Do you remember? I'm taking you back like months and months ago, right? Think about Luke, uh, chapter 9, verse 2. Remember the, the church in Antioch where, where Paul is sent out from? Prior to even Paul coming, becoming a Christian, becoming converted, chapter 9 verse 2, 9 verse 1 says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now jump ahead to chapter 19 verse 9. But when some became stubborn and continued unbelief, this is your text next week, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. In chapter 22, verse 4, he does the same thing. I persecuted, this is Paul testifying, he said, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. Chapter 24, verse 14 he does it. But this I confess to you. This is, again, this is Paul before Felix. He's, he's 
testifying to him, but this I confess to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. And then again in verse 22, but Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off saying, when Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Even to the point where now the way, this this movement that's happening in, in the ancient world is known that's how our text ends at the end of 1910. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Everybody knows about the way now. The way. And it's interesting that Luke here in, in Acts 18 says that he, Apollos, was instructed in the way of the Lord, but he's not a participant yet in the way. He's not a part of the church. He's not a part of the movement, of the mission of God. He's missing the key piece. And then Aquila and Priscilla pull him aside and begin to share with him. Probably share with him the life and the death of Christ. All the things, all the teachings that Paul had instructed. Do you remember what early on in the book of Acts, what the disciple, what the people, the church devoted themselves to? To prayer And to what? To the apostles' teaching. They're passing on what they've learned. They're passing on what they have heard. They're passing on what they know to be true. That, Apollos, you need this missing piece. And then he now begins to participate in the way. He's now part of the movement of, of the church on the march. Moving forward. And I think that that's why Luke throws this little thing in here because it's kind of like a little bit of a a tie-in of everything that's going on. We don't really know anything else about Apollos. He shows up in 1 Corinthians. He shows up in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where Paul is kind of calling out the church in Corinth. He does that almost in every chapter of 1 Corinthians. But he's, he's calling out the church in Corinth because there's some division among them. Some of them are saying, I'm of Apollos. And others are saying, I'm of Cephas. I'm of Peter. And others are, I'm of Paul. And Paul ultimately is kind of like, what are you talking about? Literally, I think you can kind of look at this, and you can look even in Titus when Paul actually says to send to him Apollos. I think they have relationship. I think they're working together. I think you even see that here in a few minutes. You're going to see that they're kind of like they're, they're, they're trading off. Because they're part of something bigger than themselves. They're part of the way. They're part of the church that Christ has brought together and Paul's kind of calling out the church in Corinth. They're like, what are you guys fighting about? What are you talking about? Like, Paulus and I, we're buddies. We're working together. We're on the same team. There shouldn't be division. We're one in Christ. That's what Paul argues. But that's all we hear about Apollos. We know nothing else. We know nothing else of this eloquent man who potentially, I think, is probably even more eloquent than Paul. There's an interesting verse there that it says that he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that, Jesus, that Christ was Jesus. In chapter 18, Paul doesn't necessarily do so great a job with these people. <laughs> Paul doesn't really, isn't, isn't getting through to them. And Apollos comes and appears to be having some breakthroughs. Perhaps he's more eloquent. Paul, I think, was probably a really boring teacher. I mean, someone fell asleep and died in one of his sermons, right? I mean... If that happened to me, I'd be, I think I'd be kind of crushed. I don't know if I should be speaking anymore. But Apollos appears to have this, this power, this energy. That's, it's just part of how God made him. And he's just living it out. 
And so as you think about this connection, this, the, I'm reminded of, do you guys remember, not, many of you won't, I remember growing up listening to Paul Harvey. Anybody else here like, I, I miss Paul Harvey, man. That guy could tell a story, couldn't he? And he always told a story in such a way that you didn't quite have all the information. And then at the end, what would he say? And now you know the rest of the story. And he would tell the story in such a way, this is who Apollos is. This is his story. Look at the end result of all of this. The end result of all of this is what? It's the expansion of the gospel. It's growth. It's interesting that, that Apollos is, is preaching and teaching this message of repentance, but repentance isn't enough. It's not enough just to repent and turn from your sins. You also have to believe. You have to believe in who Christ is, who Jesus is. It's not enough for you to just stop doing bad stuff. And I'm not saying don't do that. But you have to believe. And the end result of this is full participation in the gospel leads to gospel expansion. It says right there, For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. But not just that. In verse 27 he asks, he tells the believers here in Ephesus, hey, I want to go back to Achaia. I want to go towards Corinth. Chapter 18, that's where Paul left off at the end of his second missionary journey. Now, I don't know if there's conversation between Aquila and Priscilla and they've led him to believe that maybe there's some unfinished business to take care of or those people in Corinth are a mess. I don't know. The text doesn't tell us. But what we do know is they send him with the recommendation this recommendation letter that he goes and the people, they say, hey, we're Aquila and Priscilla and we're the people here in Ephesus. You can trust this guy. You can trust him. You can especially trust him now because he has the truth. He has all of it. He's going to accurately teach you. Then, look at verse 19. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. You see what these guys are, these guys are doing? And it says, and it happened. Obviously, we know that it didn't just happen. But God is actually accomplishing his purposes and establishing his church, even without a lot of planning by these, by these guys. I don't think at this stage that Apollos and Paul have probably met. I think it's more than, the text doesn't show us that, but it seems unlikely that at this point that they've even met. But look what God's doing. God is moving around these different men for the purposes of his church, for the gospel to continue to expand. But what is required in order for that to happen is full participation in the gospel that leads to that expansion. And there's this wonderful bridge here. As I was looking at this text, I was kind of teasing Pastor Jeremy. I was like, man, there's like two sermons here. <laughs> there's chapter 18, 24 to 28, and then there's 19, 1 through 10. I'm trying to look for like this tie-in, and, and I... I I was just praying, God, would you show me like, how to bring this all together as one package? Like, how, does the, how do these two tie together? Like, what's the main point? What's the main idea? And then it, God showed it to me, honestly. It was one of those truth and spirit. 1824 to 28, Apollos is getting full truth. He's getting the rest of the story. He's getting the missing puzzle piece. 
the message of the, the content of the gospel, of who Jesus is, all that he had done, his work in, in crucifying, in the crucifixion, his, his dying our death, his, his fulfilling the way that we are incapable of walking, the full commandments. He fulfills all of those things, and then he raises again, and then the Spirit comes. I mean, that's how Luke starts the book. Luke starts the book with, the, they're at Pentecost, they're gathered together disciples, and they're just, oh, what are we doing? I don't know, we're, God, Jesus told us to wait here. He said the Spirit's coming, what's that? I don't know, but we're supposed to wait. That's, that's literally what those guys are doing. They don't know what this means that the Spirit's going to come. But then the Spirit comes, and then Luke continues to just unfold for us how the church grows, how the church develops, how the church just moves onward because they're fully participating. And Luke is throwing that in our face, that the church is doing everything possible to accomplish the purposes and the plan of God. They're selling their possessions. They're sharing with one another. They're, they're going on these, these missionary journeys. Like, if I had the first missionary journey that Paul did, I wasn't going back for a second one. Right? Can you imagine you come into a town, you're there for a short period of time, you speak and you teach and you're, 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 you believe it, that Jesus is who he says he is and you need to believe him and he's the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father is through him. They beat you. They stone you. And you go, well, we're just going to move on to the next city and do it all over again. This is what they're doing. They're sacrificing everything. They are fully participating in the message of the gospel. And it leads to gospel expansion. It leads to fulfilling the command that Jesus gave to his disciples to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And the book of Acts is walking us through just, the, just watching the gospel. But what's required is truth and the Spirit. I'm reminded often of um, the director of Pathways. His name is Steve Hudson. Um, he says all the time, he even has a license plate that says Plan A. And his, he says all the time that it's the Spirit of God that takes the Word of God to do the work of God. And there is no Plan B. The Spirit of God takes the word of God to do the work of God, and there is no plan B. We were talking last night, and, and Pastor Jamie, Jeremy mentioned that um, I think sometimes we come to a text as teachers, or even as parents with our kids, or even just any opportunity we have to share, and we think we've got to come up with something new. Like something revolutionary. Like even I was tempted with, as I'm looking at this passage, like, yeah, like, what can I, and then you just get into all these ridiculous nuances. So I can, like, what, impress you? Like, it's ridiculous. But when you get right down to it, the plan of God is really pretty simple. We're to faithfully teach this word. We're to devote ourselves to prayer. We're to live humble, quiet lives. We're supposed to just partner with others for the sake of the gospel at all costs. And trust that the Spirit's going to do His work. You know, one of the hardest things, uh, I think, of being in, in ministry and, and even just as being a parent is like measuring spiritual growth. How do you measure that? How do you measure what's taking place in each and every one of your hearts and minds? And yet, that's what we're called to do. Preach, teach, trust that God's going to do his work. Continue on, full participation, and this is what takes place. 
And that theme continues. Not only is there truth, but now the Spirit. Verse 19, chapter 19, verse 1. And it happened that while Paulus was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And then he asked them this question. And again, this is, there's more dialogue here, I'm sure. Right? It's not just Paul's like, uh, hey, have you heard about the Holy Spirit? I don't think that's how he's starting the conversation. But Luke's giving us the important parts, and they're like, no, we've never even heard of it. So he probably shares with them what it is. The Ephesian disciples then are baptized in the Holy Spirit, verses 1 and 2. Paul was last in Ephesus on his way back from Corinth on his second missionary journey. Now he's coming from the east after visiting Jerusalem and Antioch, strengthening those churches, and he comes here and he runs into these guys right after Apollos leaves. I started wondering, this is my conjecture here, but I was wondering, are these maybe people who believed what Apollos had told them and they're missing the key piece? Maybe. But at a bare minimum, they understand the full message, the full weight of the gospel of all that Christ has done and they believe and they're baptized and then they receive the Holy Spirit. Interesting thing that happens through the book of Acts, it's, it's not normative for our time, but a lot of these people are receiving the Holy Spirit through things like laying on of hands. It's coming after their salvation. It's coming afterwards. And I think it's really just to solidify for the Jewish part of the church that the Gentiles are part of this too. That this is what Paul refers to as the mystery that's been unfolding. That this has been God's plan from the beginning that all would participate that God's heartbeat from the beginning has been that all nations would participate in the church and be part of the bride of Christ. And Paul then makes a distinction between baptism of John the Baptist, repentance, and baptism in the name of Jesus, belief. And he brings them together in the same manner that Apollos did. It's kind of a parallel theme right there. Apollos didn't get it. These people don't get it. Now they got it. Now watch what God's going to do. So these 12 Ephesian disciples, verses 5 through 7, they believe on Jesus and they're baptized and they receive the Holy Spirit and then the gospel continues to grow. Verses 8 through 10, he entered the synagogue, this is Paul, and for three months spoke boldly. He's doing just what he's always done. Boldly, just like Apollos, just like Paul's done up to this point. He hasn't veered. He's preaching and teaching the truth. He's trusting that the Spirit's going to do his work reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. I, I love this, this verse, speaking evil of the way, and then Paul goes, oh no, you're not going to do that. <laughs> this is the same guy who earlier on in the book is introduced as a persecutor of the way, and now he's going to protect it. Paul's going to protect the, the movement of what God's doing in his church, the expansion of the gospel at all costs. He's like, no, 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 we're not doing that. So he removes himself, and, and daily he's in this hall teaching, preaching, sharing the truth. You must believe. You must repent. And God is doing his work so far to the verse 10. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Paul is here for two, anywhere between two and three years, probably two and a half-ish. And Paul is expanding the gospel, the reach of the gospel, even if others don't believe. It's the mission that he's been called to. So what do we do with all of this? What do we do with this, this whole text in our time? 
Because this is, this is great. You're getting to hear the story and all that God's doing. But what does that mean to us? I would contend, again, that full participation in the gospel leads to gospel expansion. If you're a true follower of Christ, you should be desirous that the gospel goes forward, that the way continues. But the only way that that happens is if we're fully participating in that. And this is one of those times where I don't know what that looks like for each and every one of you, what your participation level looks like. I do know this, that your Christian walk, your participation in the way, is so much bigger than you. Sometimes when we think about like our own spiritual growth, we get so self-centered. We think that our spiritual growth is all about us. And we fail to recognize that it's all about the church. It's all about the gospel. It's all about the expansion of God's kingdom for his honor and for his glory. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that your spiritual growth is not for the glory of God. It is. I'm not saying that your spiritual growth is not important. It is. But your spiritual growth should also include how, does, how am I participating to a greater extent than ever before in God's mission? See, if you are a student of God's word, you study God's word, you suddenly begin to realize that God has been on mission from day one. And this whole thing is way bigger than you are. A few, well, a week or so ago, I was working on a sermon, and I started studying about, like, the, the planets and science, just to kind of give an illustration. And the more I did it, the more my brain got warped at the size of our universe, and, like, watching these YouTube videos of, like, where they show our Earth in comparison to other planets, in comparison to the sun, the sun in comparison to some of these other known stars, and it's ridiculous, and then you think about you, you're like this tiny little fleck. And yet God in his wisdom and mercy and kindness chose you. And he chose you amongst all the other peoples for his honor and for his glory. But he wants you to grow and to flourish so that that continues. Because from day one, he's been on mission. He's, he's desirous that all tribes and all nations would participate and worship his son to the honor and the glory of the Father. And that the only way that that happens is through the Spirit. And so your growth as a follower of Jesus is so much bigger than you. Yes, it's to draw you nearer to Christ and grow you in your relationship, but God also wants you to be participating in the way. Participating in His mission, what He's doing. And I know that this is potentially no easy thing to have a missionary who is coming in, attempting to raise support, and you automatically probably go to, yeah, well, he just wants money, right? He just wants more individual supporters and other churches and things. Yes, that's true. But I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. We're in this time of, you know, it's the new year and everyone makes New Year's resolutions and it feels like a good time for change usually, right? I always tease my wife. She always likes to make changes on Mondays. <laughs> like, eh, Saturday, Sunday. No, Monday is a good day because it feels like the start of something, right? It's how the new year is. I want to challenge you this year. How can you participate more in the way, the mission of God, the global church? If you come 
uh, afterwards, my wife has a, a resource of how to pray for the persecuted church. Do you? Do you pray for your missionaries that this church supports? Are you individually supporting missionaries? Are you giving with that intention? Are you mindful of whether you give online or in the back or however, that, that God, would you use this to expand your kingdom or is it just something you just go through the routine? When you, when, you, when you read God's word, are you reading God's word so that God, would you help me to, would you help me to, to better guide my family so that they become disciples of Christ? They become followers of, of you, of your way? God, would you help me to, to, to stay right here on task, focused? Listen, we don't get to take anything with us. We know that. I mean, we, at least cognitively, right? When you die, you don't take everything with you. Uh, thankfully, in our society, we're not like, like some of ancient societies where the, all your good stuff got buried with you. Can you imagine that as a child? And you're like, oh, I liked that. Can I have that? That's a value, and you're just going to bury it with dad? You can't take anything with you, though. So why are you holding so tightly to it now? Why am I? I'm, I'm, trust me, I'm, I'm preaching to me right now, too. Because I think about my possessions, and I think they're for me to use. Yes, they are for me to use and enjoy, but are they, are they fulfilling the mission of God? And what does that look like for you this next year? What does that look like for you next year to, to, to jump more in? To realize, like was said, not all of us are called to go like Paul. But the churches here in the book of Acts, they knew that they were supposed to send they knew that they were supposed to support. And the reason they did that wasn't just because it was a good thing to do or they, they really liked that person or they really connected with them, so yeah, we're going to get behind it. It was, no, as soon as everyone hears, Christ comes back. And that puts some urgency to things. Have you ever thought about that? That when the last person hears the gospel, whether they believe or don't, just like here in our text, whether they believe or don't, Christ returns. When the gospel finally reaches the uttermost parts of the earth, when the mission of the church is accomplished, because it will be accomplished, because the gates of hell can't prevail against it, it's going to happen whether you participate or not. God is going to accomplish his purposes. When that happens, Christ returns. Wouldn't you like to see that happen sooner rather than later? Hello, 2020, 2021. Heaven forbid what 2022 is going to look like, right? Don't you want Jesus to come back? So why would you not participate in this mission of God? Why would you not give everything you possibly have? Why would you not stretch things to the limit in regards to your time? And listen, that's going to look different for each and every one of you. If you're here with young kids, let's be realistic, right? <laughs> if you're in your latter years of life, why would you not give up everything else that you have left? I think often about that even in my own life because what God's called me to do of training pastors and teachers, I've said for now, I want to retire or die into this one. Like, this is what I want to literally die doing. My wife says, just don't do it in another country because then we've got to get your body back here. But, but you know what I'm saying. And when you think about it, if you're in, the, say, that latter stage of life, think about the race that Paul talks about. Do you remember, though, how a runner finishes the race? All out sprint. Right? It's the, what's it called? The, it's got a name. 
The kick, yeah, the final kick. It's the final push. It's the final, I'm almost there, so I'm going to give it everything I have. I want to just finish with this, just to kind of really, I don't know the next time you're going to have a missions emphasis. I want you to really think about this. If Paul talks about it as being a race, the way he tells us to walk in it, he tells us to, to stand firm in it, and he also gives the illustration too that we're at war. We're at spiritual war. Your missionaries are in the front lines of that war. How are you as a church, how are you as an individual participating in the war efforts? When I would hear stories from my grandparents and other people and read different historians and, and things like World War II fascinates me, but it's amazing what people here in the United States did who were not actively in service did in their war efforts. Air raid wardens, they were like taking old tires so they could be recycled so they could make new tires for airplanes, doing everything possible, buying these war bonds, doing everything because they realized what was at stake. Do you as a follower of Christ realize what is at stake? And are you doing everything within your effort, within your power for God's honor, for his glory, for the expansion of the kingdom? God, I thank you very much for this day that you have given to us. Lord, you are kind and gracious towards us. And I, I ask you, Lord, that each and every one of us, that you would allow us to see how we should further participate in the gospel. God, if there's someone here today who you've been calling them to do something, that they would listen to that. Maybe you're calling them to participate in a ministry here at the church or to um, support a missionary that they, they heard about a, a while ago or to pray for those missionaries more faithfully or as a family uh, to explore and, and, and pray for the persecuted church in, in a whole variety of ways. God, this thing that you've called us to is so much bigger than us. And God, I can only speak for me. I want to grow in my understanding of who you are so that you continue to expand your kingdom, so that you continue to reach those who are lost and far from you. God, I, I'm thinking right now just of the, the words of the Apostle Paul himself, who he, he, he was willing to be accursed. He was willing to, to suffer eternal hell and damnation for the sake of those who did not know. God, my heart doesn't fully beat that way for those who are lost, for those who are difficult in my life, for neighbors or people around me. God, would you place that burden on us so that we can see that our full participation in the gospel leads to the expansion of the gospel, which gives you honor and glory as you fulfill your mission. Thank you that you've called us to this, that you've called us to participate at whatever cost. Give us that mentality, that framework to think that through. And God, I pray for this church specifically that this year of 2022 would be one where they, they take the, the teachings found in your word more seriously than ever before. Growing in their understanding of all that Christ has done for them, all that is offered to them as participants, as, as heirs to all of these things. That they would claim that inheritance and, and just comfortably know that you're in charge of everything. You own everything, and it's all yours, and for that we give you the honor and the glory. And we pray these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.